I did have a question. Eminem yes. or Taylor Swift in the car? It literally can't. It depends on my mood. It's those two? Literally. What crosses that threshold? What's Taylor Swift's mood and what's Eminem's mood? I feel like that's a yin-yang. You know, that's a, it's such a good question. I mean, Eminem is when I want to, like, connect with my roots and just, like, balls to the wall, just go all out. But Taylor Swift also could be that. But I feel like normally it's when I'm, like, more, like, emotional and need to just, like, have a good cry, like, I'll put Taylor Swift on. You, you need to be inside your feelings there for a little while, kind of release yes. some of that. I got gotcha. you. Yes, exactly. I like that. I like to try to sing along with Eminem, but I know that I'm, like, just babbling weird words that don't quite go along with what he's saying. See, <laughs> but I... But I still love it. So it's, like, normal. Life. I used to practice. When I was in <laughs> high school, I would drive around and replay the same song so that I could learn the words. It's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. We're going to have yeah. to uh, have you freestyle about the end of the show. <laughs> I can do Lose Yourself. Don't ask me to do Rap God. <laughs> oh, man. Rap God would be awful. Um, I would tear that apart. Sounds like a challenge. Today, we're joined by Carrie McKinney. My name is Jay. Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. Gary is back today, finally. Uh, phase three of the Rona. I'm good. I'm alive. <laughs> You're alive now? I could breathe and stuff. The breathing thing's like underrated. Like, really? Yeah, we need to do that. <laughs> I think we need that. I'm glad that you uh, you said that because I think that's going to be part of the conversation today. I agree. But Carrie McKinney is here. She's an empowerment coach, energy healer, and uh, public speaker, motivational speaker, everything in between, uh, life coach. You've got like a ton of hats. Carrie, welcome. I do. Thank you so much. I'm so, so excited to be here with you. Well, we're excited to have you because I feel like when I read through your bio and I listened to your submission, there was so many uh, similarities with my own life that it just rang so many bells. And I think that when someone like yourself steps up on a platform and opens up and is that raw, that more and more people, it empowers them to come forward and say, I'm flawed too, that I have those two by fours behind an old Western set for a home. And I'm laying behind it crying. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. And I feel like it definitely has taken me a long time to get to this point, right? Like I used to be ashamed of my past, pretended like it wasn't real, pretended like some of the stuff that I went through just didn't happen. And it was when I just really started embracing it and being like, I don't care. Like, this is me. Everything I went through shaped me to get to who I am today. And I want other people to be able to really you know, embrace their past and not be afraid of it as well. It's beautiful. Perfectly imperfect. That's the way I like to think about it. Yes. I, I like to think of it that way. And I like to say that I'm a beautiful hot mess. That's a great way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't yeah. add the beautiful part to myself, but hot mess. You got, you got double hot mess though. You got extra. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm hot, hot mess squared. <laughs> and I don't even know. Mine's, mine must be like whatever two times squared is. I didn't do math You're really cubed. well, but All right. cute. Yeah, I'm, I'm hot. Cubed. 
<laughs> hot mess cube. I'm getting that's a shirt that says that. Yes. Hot mess cube. So, yes. Terry, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you come from, what it is you've gone through? Kind of give us your backstory. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'll try to keep it the mini version because I feel like it could be quite extended. Um, I, you know, for the most part, like on the surface, looked like I had a really successful life. I worked in the corporate world for about 10 years, leading recruiting teams for big companies like Amazon, D.com. I had a big house with a beautiful family and beautiful kids, but inside I was really miserable. And I had, you know, something, whenever someone asks me with a question, if someone looks at you, what is something that they wouldn't know about like be able to tell about you and um Mm. my answer is always i was an alcoholic for most of my life i started drinking when i was 12 years old which is mind-blowing to think about because i have a 13 year old who like cannot imagine him taking his holy developmental delays you know you're really slapping the brain early gary got a tattoo at 14 so i'm pretty sure he was drinking at 12 i am i got a tattoo at 16 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> drove to Canada to get it. 16 seems, uh, oh, nice. I have a, never mind. I won't tell any Canada stories yet. <laughs> <laughs> but Jay, you're totally right. Like when you start drinking, especially, you know, consistently and heavily, like it totally stunts your emotional growth. And so I was like this adult living in this 13 year old brain. And it's sad to say, but like I was so emotionally underdeveloped. I had no control over my emotions whatsoever. Um, I, you know, lived with depression and anxiety and blamed everyone else for how I felt. And I just, I had no understanding that it's all about taking control of your emotions and taking ownership of your own stuff. I feel like alcohol, if the human mind was a plant, the alcohol waters the weeds and not the plant. And it just lets it keep growing. The plant just gets smothered inside of that nest of vines and weeds. And you have to, in order to even find that plant, you have to ditch the alcohol and start weeding your fucking garden, whatever, wherever that's at. 100%. I always tell people, like, it wasn't getting sober that helped me. I mean, getting sober was what helped me really start growing, but I wouldn't have been able to start doing the inner work that I needed to do if I wouldn't have gotten sober. Like, it just was not possible to comprehend some of the shit that I you went had no through, platform to work from. It's like standing on a teeter totter trying to, you know, use binoculars. <laughs> gonna fucking happen. <laughs> yes, yes. I I thought like I I thought I was living on top of the world, and I would you know drink a bottle or two of champagne was my drug of choice every oh, night. That's a nasty one. Oh, yeah, but people think that's fine though. It's like I'm just drinking champagne. Yeah, like, that's the acceptable. And because there's less carbs, yeah. so I had all these reasons of why. Because it made me look fancy. And white collar. Yeah, it's I white would, collar alcoholism. Yes, <laughs> it's such a good way to put it. <laughs> yes, it's so true. I don't know how I did it. I would wake up every morning after having like almost two bottles of champagne and go to work and run meetings and lead teams and work with executives. And I, I just, I didn't even realize how messed up it was because I was stuck in this cycle for so long. It was looking back. I don't know how I did it. I, you know, like I said, I relate to a lot of this. Um, I've wore a lot of hats throughout my life. 
um, done a lot of jobs and tried to attain those false goals that, you know, are given to us and tried to put on that mask like you're uh, describing there. People yep. don't understand that the reason why you keep leaving the room is because you feel like shit on the inside and you've actually, you're hung over as fuck from the night before you become those functioning alcoholics. There are so many out there that we don't even realize exist that will run the biggest corporations in the fucking world. I, yes. I swear to God that I think that the upper echelon of blue chip is all on Coke and alcohol. And that's how they've gotten the country to where it's at. I a thousand percent agree with you. It's it's sad and it's scary. It really is. Because I, I think there are so many people out there who have an alcohol problem. And like, if you don't want to call it an alcoholic, don't call it an alcoholic. I don't care. If you cannot get through a day or a week or feel like you need alcohol to help you do anything, you have a problem with alcohol. And that's okay. But it's just so underrated of how big of an issue it is. Oh, 100%. I'll go ahead. The term like throws people off because, yes, you know, if alcoholic, we think of like a bum on the bus station or whatever. Yes. And like, no one wants to admit that they're that. So it's like, well, yeah, maybe I do drink every day, but like it's champagne or it's with my friends or I just have a couple drinks after work or, yep. you know, like people just all that. Yeah. I'm yes. like, yeah, I'm not homeless. I have a job. Yeah. I'm getting through yes. life every day. Like I must not be that bad kind of thing, but really yeah. you're just shoving all the shit down, you know, yep. and holding it down there. And I always say it's like a balloon. You got to let a little of the air out all the time or the shit just going to pop eventually. Um, and exactly. that alcohol just, you get through the day, but you're not addressing any of the problems that are making you drink in the first place or did make you drink there in the first go. place when you started. Yep. Yeah. And we all have a reason. And even if it stems from your, a lot of it's your childhood. All and, of it's you know, your it's, damn childhood. It's okay, Sarah. <laughs> it is. It's all the childhood trauma we all ignore. I'm saying that blanketly. Yeah, I get it. Totally. But it's, it is like we're all ignoring the shit we need to deal with. And so we're using alcohol to mask that. And Gary, I'm so glad you said that about, you know, we think an alcoholic is like the bum on the street or homeless or just looks like the bottom of the barrel. But that's one of the biggest reasons I'm like speaking up and getting loud. So I'm like, hey, look at me. This is what an alcoholic looks like. And I don't want people to think that it is what you just described because that's what so many people, you know, go to. And they try harder to hide it. When someone like you is like going to make sure they look proper on the way to work, they're going to make sure they have like oh, yeah. breath mints or whatever. And like, they're going to put that, you know, out to the world, an even better, more polished version. I've had friends that have been on drugs and stuff like that. And it's always the one like, you have no idea. It's not the stoner looking guy. It's the suit and tie guy that works at the yes. bank yep. that all of a sudden overdoses. And you're like, what the fuck? Like that guy never even smoked weed when we were younger. Yeah, you know? exactly. That mask gets more and more complex and a lot more anonymity the higher up the corporate ladder you go because mm -hmm. people stop questioning whether or not you have those types of issues because you wear a blazer because yep. you sit behind a nameplate because you have all those cars and houses and things like that there's a game that's being played that's also a wall, so you can't see behind it that I'm shitting myself, throwing up, and barely alive before I even leave for work. Yep, you are so spot on. It's <laughs> We're all wearing a giant mask trying to pretend like we're someone we're not. And the more 
and the better you get at wearing the mask, it's almost like it is um, like it's like reinforces that it's working. Like when you're that alcoholic, like you you're like, oh, my gosh, everybody believes me that I have my shit together. And it's like (laughs) and it's only when you get sober and you look back like I can look at someone now. And I'm like, I know that they're struggling with alcohol because that was me. Like, you can't wear a mask around me anymore. I was wearing a mask for so long. Like, I know what it looks like to be and feel the difference. So let me ask you a question, because that requires a lot of awareness, situational awareness, mindfulness. How did you find that people or yourself were even wearing a mask? Because that's a huge separation between church and state. Yeah. That's a differentiation that most people don't get in their lifetime. Yeah. It's a great question. And it definitely did not happen overnight. First, I had to get tired of my own shit. Like, I think that is such a critical part, just a point in your life. Like, you have to be tired of yourself enough to want to make a change. And it's, this is so sad. And it's good that I can look back on this now and laugh. But I, a few years ago, I was diagnosed with gastritis, which is basically this this medical thing that's only can be caused from excessive drinking. Normally, it's only diagnosed in people who are like 50 or above. I'm not 50. I was 33 when I was diagnosed with this. And I was like, holy, like, what is going on with me? You'd think I'd stop drinking. Oh, Here's the thing. I had such awful stomach pains that I kept drinking through them because that's what people who struggle with alcohol do. But I started tearing down and I started tearing down enough. And then I coincidentally found Reiki for the first time in my life. And then I told myself that I was going to start meditating because I had heard that this thing called meditation would help me. And so I made a promise to myself that I was not or that I would meditate every night quickly realize you cannot meditate while you're drunk. Like, I will never forget that experience. I was oh, laying that's... in bed with my headphones on. Yeah. Kick the merry-go-round. Like, staring at the ceiling, and I'm like, well, this is really uncomfortable. And I was like, okay. Like, yeah, this meditation meditate. sucks. It's the room spin. <laughs> I don't exactly. like this. Turn it off. So I was like, Carrie, you got to get your shit together. <laughs> so, um, so then that's what I, I tell everyone meditation saved me because I, I started meditating and that helped me become more mindful and aware of, you know, the ways that I was feeling. And, you know, I, I went through points where just months before that I was laying on my bathroom floor, sobbing, thinking about killing myself. And I started like really thinking about those situations. And I'm like, that's not normal. Like, that's not okay. And it was really when I started becoming aware of like, okay, the way that I was living was actually really, really distorted. And I was able to get sober enough to start really making the changes that I need. And now it's been about um, almost two years since I've had a drink. Congratulations. Never, ever touch it again. It's been about seven years for me. I haven't had a drink in seven years. I made the conscious effort to stop as well. And my method was similar to yours, except I did um, move over to medicinal marijuana. Um, 
something that I firmly believe in if it's used correctly. 100% agree. It's a crutch in, for people that, you know, need it for their mental health issues and not realizing it. Those people that abuse it, kind of like alcohol, using it to plug a hole, putting it in a place that's not being taken care of. But if it's mm-hmm. used correctly in conjunction with um, natural ways of unraveling those mental knots, i.e. meditation, exercise, diet, things like that, it does. It gives you that awareness. I So, and this is actually something I have not shared with, I think, many people at all. And I was planning on writing a blog post about it soon. So I'm going to give you a sneak peek. When I stopped drinking, like... I have a very addictive personality. Like when I do something, it is, I go all the way. Like it is go hard or go home. And, you you know, they say like you switch from one vice to another. And so when I quit drinking, it wasn't just like, oh, Carrie's sober. She's living a healthy lifestyle. Like hell to the no. I do that. No, I started vaping, which I like right now, like I can't even think about vaping. It, It kind of makes me grossed out. But at the time I started vaping and then I started smoking um vape pens and i would go to colorado and i would go to seattle and i would buy you know pens and i started smoking and i'm not ashamed of it at all because i think it truly helped me get sober and if i have to use marijuana to help me get to the place i am today to stop drinking and killing myself and ruining my liver great I encourage everyone out there who is struggling with alcohol, go pick up a joint and start smoking weed. Fuck yeah. Alcohol is poison. There is zero reason to ingest it. Yes. It's just as smart as sticking the freaking gas nozzle in your mouth at the local (laughs) 7-Eleven. There's no difference physically. Now, it might give you different intoxications. Yeah, physically, there's a difference. A little. <laughs> I think you'll probably die. Don't don't go have a beer and then do the gas thing right after. We do not uh, condone It's kind of natural selection at that point. <laughs> but if you think about how much... If you think about how much people ingest, though, when it comes to being an alcoholic or struggling with alcohol, you're essentially doing the same thing to your body, just in a slower manner. Like, yeah. that's the, the yeah. biggest difference. It's sad. It's super sad, and we don't give it the respect that it deserves. We have placed alcohol on a shelf where it's allowable under any circumstance. It is revered. It is associated with happiness. For me, it was that was the way that I was going to walk a room. I could handle anything in that situation. Nobody was going to get in my way. Yep. And I was damn good at it. But then it became a home thing. It became a hiding it thing. It yes. became a how do I cope thing, you know? And yep. it just wasn't working. And much like yourself, medicinal marijuana, and then went to a extremely hardcore meditation practice. And for the first like two or three months, I was doing hours at a time trying so hard, different methods, different types, reading about every religion and why this is a thing and what is it and just trying to figure it out. And then one day after meditation, probably like three months in, I was, I had left that, the meditation. I went to walk my dog. I don't think I've ever said this on the show. I went to walk my dog and this is like August, 2019, 2018, somewhere around there. 
And I remember just stopping and having a realization that in my mind, the only way I could describe it was that I had just come to the understanding that we're all playing a form of make-believe, that we're all mentally ill and that this is a form of that. I don't know why it hit me. I don't know why I understood it. I don't know what it means, but to me, it made fucking sense. It made sense on so many levels. And then I looked at tribes and I looked at monks and they're all saying, we're insane. We don't want to be around you. That's for a fucking reason. We are. We fly around the world to take naps, you know, and Uh call them vacations. We do things for nothing. Of course, they don't want to be involved with us. And once you get a peek behind that curtain, it's really hard to stay behind the curtain. I've been to some cool places for napping, though. (laughs) Yes, you have, but we're all not the executive producer of a million shows that let us see the world. (laughs) I mean, I am going there just to nap, though. Like, I I never thought of it that way, but that's what happens. (laughs) Exactly, dude. He spent how much money on a nap? Yeah, I I have a lot. I mean, shit. I took a nap in the Singapore airport once, and I think it cost $400. Oh, my gosh. It was the best nap. Jay, you're so right, though. Like, you're so right. Once you get a glimpse into how backwards we all have been living and pull the curtain aside and realize, like, how not in control of our life we have been, it's like... It blows your mind. You can't go back. It does. It's funny. I actually went to the gym. I was meeting my wife there. And we were at Orange Theory. And... I went in there and I had like the biggest, most ridiculous smile on my face because it wasn't just that I had realized that I realized that it was nobody's fault. Mm-hmm. Oh. It unraveled so many things from my own issues to the issues with other people to the generational to all that shit. It didn't fix them by no stretch. But it was, you know, Gary, I'll tell you, I do the knots in the rope thing a lot. And I say that those things are knots. It was that first push on either end of the rope that kind of made the knot go and open up and loosen a little so that I could actually start pulling pieces out. It was so bizarre. And, oh, I just love that you just said that because you cannot start pulling back the curtain or doing the work until you admit that you are blaming everyone else for your problems and that you have complete ownership over your life. And when you feel like crap, you got to stop blaming other people and take control and ownership of it. Like, it is no one else's fault but your own. Here's an ugly truth. When you feel like crap like that, that's a choice too. (laughs) Yes. You're actually choosing to sit in shit and feel that way. You could sit in happiness or sit in that. And you literally choose that because it's safer. Yeah. It's victimhood. We all have been just programmed to to live in with the victim mentality. And that's how I know. And that's like something I really focus on is if I find myself falling into victim mentality, I'm like, snap out of it. That's not real. You don't have to do that. That's your trauma. That's your ego trying to take over. Like... I call that the wormhole. That, yeah. The only way I could describe keeping my head out of that alternate reality, the one where I was walking the walk, talking the talk, wearing the mask, living in the emotions and that kind of stuff. And the wormhole for me is 
the reality that everybody's living in and mm-hmm. the mindfulness piece is me standing in front of that wormhole and watching it. But if I get too close to the hole, it'll suck my head in kind of like a vacuum cleaner. And then not only am I in it, I've got to use double the efforts to pull my head back out. That head's not getting in any wormhole. Yes. It's, it, it, I, I imagine there's a suction sound too. That's the you biggest wormhole so- ever. For my head? You're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right, though. It sucks the energy out of you. And the further down you get, the more energy you have to exhaust out of yourself to just get back to a normal state of, you know, balance. It's it's mine. It's crazy. I had a harsh reality check um, over the last month. I was starting to get a lot shorter tempered and letting things... Th- pile up and actually becoming something that I was ruminating on. And I realized that I went to the gym. I hadn't been going and I went once and I took a day off. And when I evaluated how I felt at the end of those two days, I recognized that I had a happier mood at the end of the day. And I just had to remind myself that much like any other thing, exercise is a dopamine rush for me that maintains my stability throughout life. And if I don't take that gym pill a couple of times a week, or at least three to four, I'm going to spiral every single time until I get back to moving again. We are literally the same person. I'm the exact same way. Probably worked for the same companies. (laughs) Or ones that are very similar. I just I just stopped shaving and wearing blazers. You still look presentable. I threw it all away. What'd you say, Gary? So they're probably if they're not the same, they're the same. I mean, the culture is probably the same. The way people act and it's mind control. You know, it's 100%. we're gonna say you could have this time off and have all these benefits mm. and all this shit, and then they don't really let you use any of them. And then you're always working, worrying about work, what you're gonna do the next day. Then the gym stuff, you stop going for a little bit. You have a hobby, you stop doing that for a little bit. Now you're just basically sleeping or recovering from the day. And now you cut out everything. Yeah. It says, yeah, it's hard to get out of that cycle. And And they're teaching you to remain in it. I mean, uh, Sam Suarez, when he was on, he pointed something out that cracked my egg a little bit. And when he said that those classes that you take in the corporate world, those stupid little online quizzes that teach you how to secure things or how to be ethical or how to be whatever. Yeah. Those are actually acting classes to continue to be the corporate role. Yes. Because I always say that actors just chose all the roles and the rest of us chose one. And business, when he said that, really reinforces your role. To the degree that you feel like you are that. That yes. is your reality. But actually, you could literally step across the street and become a hobo anytime you want. Yes. That's easy. It totally defines your life. You just need one of those broomsticks and the handkerchief. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. The classic. The old yeah. bandana on the pole. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's effective. That'll make you legit. <laughs> Dude, I'm like two steps from that so many times in my life. I've been there. Like, really close. Really close, several times, several, several times by not the grace of whatever created me or whatever, it, you know, is out there. My wife, everything in between, I'm for sure I'd, I'd be dead. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I owe her my life. 
uh, in so many different ways. I think that what we don't realize is that mental health issues, although alcoholism is a red flag, it's not the cause of the issues. No. It's the root. Yeah. That's just a coping mechanism. That's a way to not look behind the curtain. As humans, we all have a different tool or mechanism that we use to keep us from looking behind the curtain. Yep. Because we don't want to admit that we have no idea why we're here. Yep. And it's and it's a really hard thing to just sit with how you feel. And we're all, you know, Ugly. taught and like have all these distractions and we all have our own distractions, but people are terrified of themselves. And until you can learn to face yourself and be able to just sit and think, okay, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? That's okay. We're never going to make progress with our mental health because we just keep avoiding it in one way or the other. I think it's getting better as a whole because it was such a stigma or whatever. Nobody ever wanted to talk about it, you know, especially like men that have to be tough or, you know, somebody that's successful. Like, why do you have to, like, you don't have mental health. You're a corporate, you know, you have a nice house. Yes. Like, why are you going to talk about it? But now it's like people finally for the first time could say like, and if you break your arm, you have to go get that shit fixed. If something's going on up here, like you got to get it fixed too, or, you know, it's just going to keep getting worse. I think people are able to talk about therapy and meditation and, and stuff now that we never were able to before. Yeah. So it's getting better. I think we've always looked at just the physical things that we need to fix, like the broken mm-hmm. bones and the skin issues and whatever. But like our mental health is equally as important as the things we have to fix in our body. and. You're so right, Gary. Like, we've all been conditioned to think that it wasn't that, especially men. Like, I have two boys and I teach them, I'm trying, that like, it's okay to cry. You need to cry, actually. Like, you need to show emotion. You need to let that stuff out. But even from a young age, they're all taught, like, boys don't do that. You suck it up, you know? Yeah, exactly. 75% of male cancer is suck it up in the age of the 50s to 60s. Yeah. (laughs) 100%. And that's all that energy that gets stuck in their body because they refuse to release it. So they have this trauma that builds up and eventually causes this disease. It's it's so easy now for me to look at. A couple episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, excuse me, DeAndre Smith, Sip the Kid, and he had gone through some seriously traumatic events. And that was the, the same scope that you couldn't live in it. You had to have a different approach to life. You had to become not a victim. I think he had said one statement in there is that they're always waiting for me to be a victim. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't allow himself to do that. And I thought that was really impressive. You know, when people hear a story like that, that's what they expect to see. Like people very close have died or tragic events. They expect to see somebody that's like barely holding it together. And you're like, want to feel sorry for them. And you know, and they, they come through and that. they're the happiest one in the room. You're like, what's going on here? Like, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. And you could see that and people figure out a ways to deal with it. Because you know, the worst thing I think is just not dealing with situations. We don't want to, especially with death and, you know, terrible events. You want to not think about them, whether that's drinking or drugs or just staring at the TV and whatever show makes you turn your brain off at the end of the day. Like, yep. I think we all look for that thing to do. More and more people are talking about it, which I think is very helpful. Um, yeah. And people had to sit in their own shit for two years and Bingo. sit there with themselves, you know, a oh, lot more than they ever have. I, I say that COVID, and this obviously is a generalized statement, but COVID either 
pushed people to work on themselves and freaking skyrocket or it pushed them to go into the dark wormhole and start drinking and get a lot worse. And finding I, their rock think, bottom, it gave them time to find it and yes. without people around. Because what we're not exactly. seeing is how many people hit rock bottom and didn't say anything about it because we thought they weren't at rock bottom going in and they yes. didn't look like they were at rock bottom coming out. That's yes. the same effect that the corporate leave of absence or a few months off for a personal matter thing is that you see in the upper echelons that is actually rehab. Yeah, yes. that's what it is. Like whether it's they call it rehab or not, that's what it is. Like <laughs> You just didn't know coming in or out. Yep. Yeah. I completely agree. It's all behind the curtain. It is. All behind the curtain. It's the mask. Yeah. It's the mask that we wear where we hide all the scars on the backside of it. We never yes. let anybody see it. And then, but we'll look at them. We'll take that mask off and we'll stare at them and we'll judge ourselves for every single one of those marks in there. But then we'll put that finely polished whatever mask in front of our face that is the one that gets us through all of those different interactions and gets us that those adulations and that love and that admiration and all those things that fuel whatever it was that probably, I don't know, 12-year-old Carrie was looking for before she started yeah. drinking. Yeah, I mean, that's generally how it goes. Same for me. You know, it, it was it was a way to supplement that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the saddest part is, and, and again, I didn't figure this out until I took the mask off, is like when you wear the mask really for your whole life or whenever, like you're not giving people a chance to love you for who you actually are. Like they like the mask person. And when you take the mask off, you better be ready for your life to change and for you to lose people who are not meant to be in your life because people aren't going to always like the real you because they're so used to the masked version of you. And I think that's another really hard pill for people to swallow, especially when you're a people pleaser like I was and I wanted everyone to like. And so it was extra hard to kind of you mourn those relationships because they're attached to the old you, the old personality, but they still have those threads that are attached to the new you. And you have to let them erode over time. Um, They're for me, they didn't just go away. They faded. They were kind of yeah. like sloughing off skin or something. If I was like a reptile, you know, <laughs> it, it came out the other side, like newly polished and ready to go. Um, <laughs> but those people that you lose, you won't feel any malice towards. Nope. Because at that point, you know that they're in their own head. They're in their own spiral. That's yep. their own business. And the really yep. cool side effect to being authentic, because that's what you're describing, is authenticity. Yeah. Once so you great. become authentic, you start attracting people to you for the things that are the easiest in the world to do. Be you. Like, oh. it's so hard to fake it compared oh to just gosh. getting up and being yourself. Like, what a relief that is. Oh, my gosh. Preach it, Jay. I cannot <laughs> tell you how much that resonates with me. It's Ever since I have truly started embracing just me, like full, my rawness, vulnerability, some of the people who have been just brought into my life, I'm, I can't imagine not having them. And I can't, and every time I, I see new people who I'm introduced to, I'm just like, you are my people. Like, I know I was meant to meet you for a reason. And it's such a beautiful thing to find those real authentic relationships when- 100%. 
when you live with a mask and you realize how not real the relationships you had were, you know, it's it's a completely way of different way of living. Yeah, because you're thinking about like what people are going to think if you associate with certain people. Like the weirdos of society are the most artistic and the coolest and the best. Yes. And you're like, that person's got face all pierced or they're gay or yeah. they're, they're some other thing we don't want to see well, that's you know, like around here. Yeah. And like, that's exactly it. You know, you don't might not want to hang out with the freaks or minority group or whatever because the majority doesn't like that. But as soon as you're like, I don't give a fuck what people think, then you could be friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, your life gets a lot better, I think. No. Okay. Can I do some I, like, snaps? Yes, yeah. I know. Okay, I have to tell you that, that perfect, what you're dude. saying, it, it was, and what you're saying. So I have had like a really, for a lot of my life, I had a really unhealthy vision of like what a good relationship looks like. I went from like toxic relationship to toxic. I know, crazy, right? I was always like the girl who thought a guy, a man had to save her, blah, 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 like codependent issues galore. And I feel like I always had like this type that I would go to. Well, after I got sober, really started working on myself, got single and started learning how to really love myself and wanting to be around like me and me only, I started finding myself attracted to men with lots of tattoos. And it was like completely not the type of person that I would have normally like found myself with back then. But I'm like, oh my gosh, like these people are real. Like they're expressive. They're creative. Like they're themselves. They're authentic. And that's why I'm attracted to them. It was so mind-blowing in the best way possible. Tattoos are shitty people filters. I've <laughs> I've reevaluated how I view the tattoo. And I think that it is a great way to find an asshole. Because if somebody doesn't like me because of a fucking cartoon on my head or my back yes. or my right butt cheek or wherever the fuck, unless it's a swastika, don't give a yeah. fuck. I was thinking left butt cheek. Yes. I know. Isn't that, isn't that the gay side? I'm okay with it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, that's, and I got to get that <laughs> tattoo on my butt soon. Oh, that's right. You uh, <laughs> COVID saved you temporarily. He is literally getting a tattoo on his ass. This is why, this is why we love him. That's amazing. What is that? It's going to be of a police car. It's the standard... <laughs> You know, stuck in Wyoming with a hundred people and you're racing Hot Wheels cars every day for thousands of dollars. And sometimes you, you know, you lose a tattoo bet. It's a pretty, everyone's heard the story. Go to the Sam Suarez episode. He's from uh, Miami Inc. in those shows. And we talked about this tattoo and uh, how he ended up getting it. So you go back and listen to that episode. I almost peed my pants in that episode. Oh, that's so amazing. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's a... But you are so right, because if people are going to judge someone because of an ink they have on their body, like, they're not my people. You, anyone who's a judgy person, like, peace out. How different is that from corporate carry? Oh, it's so, it's so sad. How did we look at those people? How did we judge them? How did we not want to be associated with them for fear of not being accepted on that? Oh, I... I'm sorry, white collar and blue collar is a pretty good dividing line in these situations. Yeah. <laughs> if you you don't want to be seen on the blue collar side in that corporate world, that's a no-no. Yes, it, because it, they make you feel like you've made it in life if you are yeah. a successful white collar worker. Like I always said, I make it to VP level. I have made it in life. Like Carrie is fucking golden. She's successful. No, like... I want nothing to do with being a vice president of any company unless it's my own. Thank you very much. Not even really then. 
I don't know no. what you can give me a shirt that says VP, <laughs> but I swear to God, somebody else is going to be doing it. <laughs> like, that's all that's yeah. happening. And right before I left my corporate job, I was at this crossroad and I was like about to get promoted to VP. And I, if I would have stayed, I would have, but I was like, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. And so I quit and I was like, never look back. I'm with you. I used a fake, and I don't even know if this thing exists, but it was a fake $100,000 bill and I had put it on my computer monitor and that was my goal. If I made six figures, that meant that I made it. And um, boy, ain't that a fucking lie, number one. Number two, they're just selling you a bunch of fucking fallacies because Mm -hmm. after you have a certain amount of money, then it's just fucking stupid. It's greedy. It's all for show. It's not for anybody but yourself at that point. Yeah. Depending on how you use it. The only reason, well, I was just about to say, like, I, my goal, I want to make more money so that I can, like, start giving it to people who I know, like, desperately need it. Like, I, like, and it sounds kind of, like, cliche, I guess, but, like, I want to open up, like, a school for girls in a really underdeveloped area so I can start teaching them how to love themselves when they're 10 and not alcoholics when they're 30. You know, like there are things that I think are important to do. That's a beautiful thing. That's not cliche. Well, thank you. That's you reaching back to 12-year-old Carrie. Yes. And saying you don't have to be that human. Yes. There's actually a different way. And I think that's what this generation's job is. I I think that we've been given a gift of discernment. And in that, we've also been given a task. We have to reach back and pass on discernment. Yes. We have to let people be able to see, our children be able to see the difference between reality, the game, and what is true humanity. The human condition is what it's called. It's a fucking mental illness. It's a condition. And as soon as we accept that fact, then we'll be fucking on the road to healing as a species. Yes. Have we ever wondered why no other creature on the planet doesn't come near humans unless we use fucking food? Right? They're terrified of us. And we still act like we fucking are some kind of like, you know, dog whisperer or some shit. But at the end of the day, there's still some fucking Purina in your pocket. Yep. They don't want to come near us because we're crazy. Because we grab them and start doing shit to them. Yes. What what, what are we doing to them? No. The animals, any of them. It's true. It's so true. When you think about what we were talking about earlier, like with energy, like our energy is so low vibing compared to these animals who literally don't deal with the mental illnesses and shit that we do. Like, no wonder no one wants to be around us. We're like pig pin. We're the pig Mm -hmm. pins of the animal kingdom. Walking around with that cloud of shit and no animal wants yes, to get near but it. But yet we have people who think that as a human species, we are so much above everyone else, including animals in the world. And it's like, again, so backwards that no one realizes. And I love, I love what you said about we have to be the ones to teach the younger generation discernment because a lot of times, you know, people like me or who speak up, like, will get criticized. Like, why are you sharing your story? Why are you telling this? Why are you being vocal about your alcohol problems? Because I want other people to wake up to the fact that we are all going through this. And 
the more that we share, that's the only way we're going to start helping other people. Better open your cupboard because it's got a version of alcohol in it somewhere, you motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) You're not getting away with it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. What were you going to say, Gary? I'm sorry. You know, now we have all these platforms. You used to have three channels on TV, the newspaper, and a couple magazines. So it was very controlled what people saw. Now we could all have our own platform yeah. and we figure out the right way to get to the people that we want to help or want to entertain or want to you know, them to be our fans or vice versa, you know, that could help. And there's a person that's a young version of all of us out there that is looking up to maybe a celebrity or somebody that's doing the wrong things that if we get in front of them and say, okay, you know, there's a different route because mm. still with all this information thrown at you, now it's so much information that nobody knows really what to choose from two seconds all day of, you know, shit thrown at you. So I think more people need to, you know, it, you know, I'm from, they have a saying, they say each one, teach one. Like we're not going to save the fucking world, but we might be able to save the neighbor's kid or the guy across the street. And if every good person taught one kid, then there'd be no bad kids anymore in, in theory. Right. So it's like, yeah. Well, it's a yeah. ripple effect. It's a donated like, mindful moment as well. Yeah. We don't, yeah, we don't realize absolutely. that when you do come to that moment of discernment and you do realize that you have a gift of understanding and it's your turn to give back, you have a choice, especially as a creator. You have a choice in that moment. Do I create something that's going to better humanity or do I create you know, something that's going to further it down the fucking hole? Yeah, that's your choice because people we already know the moment that you have discernment, you know, for a fact that people. People are giving away their free moments in their mind to someone else. Yeah. So you need to step up the bat, bring your fucking big boy pants and start fucking putting out good content. Yes. Something that's going to affect change. And I guarantee you, if you find something that you love, it'll turn into worthy content. Yeah. To affect change. Whatever your talent is, whatever your passion is, doesn't have to be podcasting. It could be anything on the planet, but I bet if you find a way, it will turn into your career. It will turn into your way to affect change. It will give you fulfillment because you're just living authentically. Sorry, I ranted for a minute. No. And you just said something. I'm like, I bet you we could have another episode on this. But knowing that it's okay to have that be your career and that you can make content as part of your career and you can do creative shit. As part of your career, you don't have to be working a nine to five job and going into an office every day and working for other people like that's a whole nother part of society that I know I was bought into for so much of my life. Like all I knew, I thought that was the only way. Yes, exactly. We talk about it all the time. Recently, within years, people have told me to get a real job in my family, making well into the six figures, like helping a lot of family members, owning my own home, paid off driving a nice car, whatever the material shit that people equate with success plus requirements, you know, all this. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting like, when are you going to get a real job though? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like they want me to be miserable like they are, Mm, you know? Yes. That shade. Yeah. Easier to tell Gary he's fucking playing make believe than it is for me to get off my ass and have some self-confidence and whatever I can create. Yeah. That's really what it's born of. When you do sit down and start to work on yourself and you love yourself, then you become confident in yourself. The reason why people don't step over that threshold is because they don't have the self-confidence in whatever it is that they're creatively making. They don't believe that it's worthy. They don't believe that it's something anybody else wants to hear. But I'm here to tell you, if you have the impulse to put out something, there's a 99% chance there's an ear that it's going to fall on or a set of eyes that it's going to resonate with. 
and you are actively withholding from humanity love. Yes. Simple as that. Yep. And the people who are meant to see your content and who will resonate with it will find it. And you're going to have those people who don't because your content will trigger them. And it's going to trigger them to have to either deal with the way it's making them feel or not. But that's not your problem. That's theirs. And scroll on or you can stop (laughs) or you can even roll back. Yes. You can go past it and go, wait a minute. What did they say? Yeah. Ah, shit. There's that moment. Yeah. You know, there's that moment. We don't know when anyone will have it or if it'll happen in their lifetime, but we need to be prepared for the ability to help them when they do. Yes. We don't choose when other people come to realizations about their mental health or who they are. That's their life's path. But if you're the one at that intersection, the day that they find out, then it's your turn to help. It's not your turn before that. Don't be forcing it down people's fucking throats, telling everybody what they're doing wrong, all this other shit. Just let them get there on their own. And if you're living your life right, you'll be at the crossroads for the right people at the right time. Yes. And that's exactly why I do what I do is so that people know when they get to that crossroad that they have someone like me who's in their corner who doesn't want them to feel like they're going to be alone through it because I know what it's like to feel like no one understands you. And I think it's so important to just always make sure that people like us are sharing our story so that other people know that they're not alone out there. Amen. So I want to kind of end on a question here because you had highlighted in your about you section on your website when I was looking through some stuff. And I love to see where people have their pivotal moments. We talked about how a tattoo is actually a lot of times someone's pivotal moment. But it can also be reading books and things like that where someone's voice resonates with you, like we just said. And you said a book that changed your life was Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes. Um, So I remember I I didn't read a lot up until I had found this book. Um, Well, actually, I should say I started reading alcohol memoirs, which, by the way, if you're looking to stop drinking, a great thing to do is read alcohol memoirs. We'll add it to and, the Tragedy Academy Library. We're going to add this book as well after yes. you describe it. Well, Untamed, um, I started reading Untamed in the first chapter. She talks about a cheetah and the story of a cheetah and how there's this cheetah who is part of this like show. And she can tell that this cheetah is just like going through the motions of what this trainer is doing. And this cheetah should be out in the wild and living, you know, its real life. And Untamed... It it changed my life in the sense that it made me realize, one, that I'm not alone and that, two, we have all been living in this constructed box of how the world wants us to live. And when I read this book, I'm getting so many chills right now, it made me realize that it's okay to break outside of the box and it's okay to have the feelings that I had and it's okay that I was an alcoholic for so much of my life, but I don't always have to be like that. And it just gave me the validation that I'm not crazy. I'm not living in a world where I feel completely like this and I'm the only one out there. And I think when I read that book, it just like something snapped in me. And it was like, Carrie, like you can start living differently. And then once you do, you can help inspire others to also do the same. It's the best book. And I I literally, I think I've given it to more than like 15 people in my life. It will change your life. Thank you. 
that's a gift that you've given all of our listeners as well. Um, that's why we have this platform so that when someone identifies something so crucial within their life that they want to share with others, you know, we ask questions like this. Yep. Um, we will add that book to the Tragedy Academy Library as well as the other book, um, Alcoholic or Alcohol Memoirs. What was the yeah, one that you just said? Memoirs, memoirs of a wino, something like that. <laughs> I actually have, I no. So there's a lot of memoirs out there, just like even celebrity oh, memoirs. Sure. Jessica Simpson's memoir was super relatable. And I actually have a book that I co-authored coming out soon called Depression Lied to Me that is going to show mm. how depression looks for each individual person all over the world. Because I think books like these are so important to just give something people, you know, for people to relate to. Yeah, so interesting. I want to read that, that because when I when you sent in uh, your submission or whatever, and I saw that title, like I started already thinking about what it was because depression is going to tell you you're not shit and you're not good enough and you're you know all these things, but it's it's a lie. It's a job. So, you know that's not what's really the truth. Yeah, yeah. And in, in this book, I'm so excited for it because it's like I think 16 different women. We all wrote a chapter of what depression looks like for us, and it's all radically different. Oh, it's beautiful. But at the same time, it's the same. Like the message is the same. You're shit. You shouldn't be alive. You're not good enough. But it came through in a different way for each individual woman. And it's just, it's, it's wild. I would love to have you come back on to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I would love that. That's an amazing, that's an amazing premise. I like that. Thank you. Um, well, Gary, do you have anything you want to uh, wrap up with? Um, where do you get these bracelets at? <laughs> you guys are wearing <laughs> Oh, see, I'm telling you, Jay, we're gonna have to do a whole nother another show on yeah, we, chakras we really do. We really and do. energy and crystals because when I started doing energy healing and really started moving energy within my body and healing myself from the inside with Reiki and energy, it changed my life. And I think the more that people are aware of how much we hold on to inside our bodies and keep negative energy away from us with our um black tourmaline crystals, your life will start changing too. It's interesting how much we've discredited such a huge slice of our reality just so we can maintain yes. the status quo. We don't okay. like to think that overeating is energy. We don't describe things correctly. We 100%. negative energy is so many different things. It's not alcohol. It's not getting. Yeah. It's not getting shocked. It's not a buzzing thing. It's not any of the things that you're thinking. It morphs into anything that holds that negative state. Yes. If it's, if it's overeating, if it's heroin, if it's talking too much, if it's whatever, it is your drug of choice. Yeah. Yeah. And it affects our well, our way of life so much more than people can ever imagine. Definitely another show on that as yes. well. Yes. Um, I genuinely appreciate you, Carrie. Do you have anything you want to tell us or that we didn't ask before that you would have liked to said? Gosh, I feel like we said so much. No, just keep being authentically you. That's the only way 100%. to truly live. I love that. And you'll be able to find all of Carrie's information in the show notes. And then on Instagram, you are Carrie McKinney 9. Okay. Is that correct? Yes. And your website is CarrieMcKinney.com. Yes. Excellent. Well, yep. thank you so much, Carrie. Um, I appreciate you for being who you are and being as courageous um, as you are. We need more people like you so that uh, we can start turning on lights throughout 
our population little by little or being a light that someone can walk towards. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody, remember, be cool and keep learning.